Romans chapter 6, and we're starting at verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that, though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. When you are slaves to sin, you are free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Brilliant. Let's uh, pray together as we come to that passage. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that your word is truth tells us the truth about ourselves, tells us the truth about our world, and most importantly, it tells us the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now please now, by the power of your Spirit, speak to us, Lord. Would we hear not my voice, but yours? And would you speak truth into our hearts, that we might know your love for us in the Lord Jesus, and live for him as a result, for his name's sake. Amen. I wonder uh, what you think the most valuable commodity in the world is. And and by that, I don't mean sort of gold or platinum or some sort of rare metal. But what is it that people value the most? I think what people value the most, we actually take for granted a lot in this country. I think it is our freedom. We, We just assume that we are free to live life as we want. In fact, freedom is enshrined in the United Nations Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Listen to Article 1. All human beings are born free and equal in dignity and rights. Article 2. Everyone is entitled to all the rights and freedoms set forth in this declaration without distinction of any kind. Article 3, everyone has the right to life, liberty, and security of person. Article 4, no one shall be held in slavery or servitude. Slavery and the slave trade shall be prohibited in all their forms. In fact, in our culture, I think freedom has become the ultimate moral value. Freedom defined as in terms of human autonomy. That's the right of every individual to be who they want, to live the life they want, believing what they want, doing what they want, as long as they don't hurt anyone, as long as it doesn't impinge on anyone else's freedom. Now, according to the Bible, that vision of freedom comes into the world in Genesis 3, right at the beginning. You see, that's when the devil sells the first human beings the lie that a world where each individual rules their own lives as they want is best. You see, in tempting Adam and Eve to eat from the tree of the fruit, knowledge of good and evil, do you remember what he said? This is Genesis 3, 6. 
For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. You'll be set free to see the world as it really is. You'll be able to choose right and wrong for yourself. You'll be your own God in your life. Decide your own life path. You want that, don't you? That's best. And I think that's the sort of freedom that Paul's imaginary heckler has in mind in Romans 6.15. Look at what Paul imagines someone saying to him in Romans 6.15. What then? Shall we sin because we're, we're not under law but under grace? By no means. You see, we saw last week in the first half of the chapter, Paul outlines how Christians have been totally changed by God. Their old, God-rejecting sinful selves has been crucified with Christ. They've been given a, a fresh new life when Christ rose from the dead. They now relate to God in a totally different way. So, so Paul says, they're not under law, a, a set of rules from God that sort of hems in their life, do's and don'ts. They're under grace, God's undeserved love in Jesus every single day. And the result is, Paul imagines someone going, fantastic, no longer any law, free to do what I want. Oh, always certain of God's love and forgiveness. I mean, it's a a win-win, isn't it? No rules and no punishment. Shall I just sin? And Paul says, look, if, if you think like that, you've totally misunderstood what freedom is. And he says that there are two masters for everyone. Two masters for everyone. Look what he says in verse 16. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, your slaves are the one you obey, whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? Everyone is a slave to someone. As Gareth brilliantly showed, we all follow someone, either to sin, that's to rejecting God. If if you're not yet a Christian here today, that's that's your life, you're rejecting God, or to righteousness. That's living for God. And what people in general call freedom, the life where you get to do what you want when you want, uh, a life where no one tells you what to do but yourself, well, the Bible calls sin. And the results of that life is it enslaves you and leads to death. Now, slavery was hugely common in ancient Rome, probably about a third of the population of Rome, the city Paul's writing to do where these churches are, about a third of the population would have been slaves. But, but slavery is not uncommon in the UK. Uh, the National Crime Agency reported in 2016-17 there was a 35% increase in reported cases of slavery in the United Kingdom. And we know what slavery is. To be totally under someone else's authority and not to be able to do anything about it. And the Bible says without Jesus... We're slaves to sin. Let me, let me try and show you how, because I think this is the, the biggest mistake the human race is making. This is, if you like, the lie that brings the, the biggest amount of unhappiness into our lives. You see, when you and I decide that we're going to reject God and, and live for ourselves, we become the center of our own lives. So, so actually, that means I have to find my value and my security from who I am and what I do. How does that work? Well, I, I might pile my life, my time into, into my job. Because at work, I am somebody. And I feel a bit better about myself because people look up to me. 
Or I might pile my time into my work because, well, work provides me with the money that allows me to have the things that people admire. Or or to have my toys that I can get my dopamine rush from. You know, dopamine, the the happy hormone in your brain. You can get it from taking drugs or from playing sport or even from the number of likes people give you on your Facebook page. That that buzz. Or, Or I might pile my emotional energy into my children. Because if I, I try hard enough, they'll reach their potential, whatever that is. And I'll be proud of them. Or they will like me and they will love me. And we can have those relaxed, cozy family times, whatever they are. <laughs> yeah. now, now, what all these things have in common is I give my life t- to something else. Because I have to establish my own value, my own status, my own happiness. And what I give my life to varies from culture to culture. A culture really is just what a group of people value together. So I was thinking, I think for the middle-aged Chessington bloke, probably having a secure job that allows me to look after my family and have some time to play, that that's the sort of thing we give our lives to. Or for the Chessington family, it's, it's maybe having a, a nice-looking house and enough money to go on holiday once a year. You know, a house preferably with a kitchen diner. Actually, I read this week that the average Briton spends £928 buying things they never use in an effort to make their house look more cultured. 83% buy books they never read. 64% buy candles they never light. No, you all got candles at home, haven't you? Never lit them. 27% buy kilner jars. You know what those are? Those sort of filled with pasta and pulses they never eat. You see, we know we'll never be able to afford to live in Claygate. It's actually in that direction. So what we do is we play Claygate on this side of the A3 instead. And I guess for the uh, Chessington young person, what would it be? Maybe uh, having the right phone or the right computer, knowing which game is trending at the moment and and being able to play it online with our friends, having an active social media presence. For a lot of us, what we give our lives to is just trying to get that life of calm and comfort. So what we do is, ironically, we pile loads of emotional energy and stress and worry into not trying to do too much. And then establishing the day that finally works. Have you pulled the day off that works yet? No, of course you haven't. And in case you, you haven't recognized it, that life enslaves you because you worry about things that you think that you need, and we give them power over us. Now, of course, we see that most tragically in addiction, the diet that becomes an eating disorder, the exercise regime that becomes the purpose of life, the social drinking that becomes the alcoholic's secret, the drug use that becomes the addiction. But we don't actually have to go to those extremes to be an addict, to be unable to break free. I was fascinated by the front page of the Evening Standard this this Wednesday. I went up to London and I came back, picked up the free paper. There are two types of slavery, both both on the front page. You see, we only recognize one of them. There's the lad stabbed to death in Islington. Do you hear what his dad said? He said he had some really bad friends. You see, he hung out in the wrong places because he wanted to fit in. But there's another type of slavery, just as dangerous, maybe more dangerous underneath it. Do you see it? The holiday that promises you as much me time as you want. 
And I guess more of us are living for the second type than the first type. But we're just as enslaved. Because don't you think that, hey, tomorrow morning would be better if you knew that soon you'd be going on the holiday that would give you as much me time as you wanted? See, in the end, the slave master is simply our belief that my life is best when I get what I want when I want and what I think I need according to my values. And I expect most of us are exhausted slaves. Aren't you tired? Can you remember the last time you didn't feel tired when you got up in the morning? Because our master sin, he doesn't care about us. He's working us to death. But that's his aim. But there is another master. And we worship him when we obey him. And he enslaves us not to our own efforts to, to make a life where we feel safe and, and secure and content and valued and most importantly loved. He enslaves us to a life of righteousness, a life demonstrated by his son, Jesus Christ. See, there are two masters, but only one gives freedom. Now look at verse 17. But thanks be to God. That though you used to be slaves to sin, you've come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. Literally, it says, the pattern of teaching you have been handed over to. If you were here last week, we did a bit of English grammar. This is another past passive. This is something that God has done in the past where we were passive, we didn't do anything, and he was active. He has handed us over to a different way of viewing the world, a type of teaching that's totally different to the way our world's wired. You see, we've seen the world is run on the lie. You have to make yourself someone who is worth loving, someone of value. The world, you could call that pattern of teaching, works. You have to do it. You might call it law. Here's the standard you've got to achieve before we like you. It's up to you. But Christians aren't under law. We're under grace. God has handed us over to a different way to view life. It's, it's the gospel life. It's the life outlined in Romans. It's the news that God doesn't treat us according to our efforts. He doesn't even treat us according to our sins. The way we've deeply offended him the way we've failed to keep his laws, the way we've hurt other people in the process. No, he treats us according to the perfect life of his son, given in our place at the cross, where Jesus was treated in the way that our lives deserve. He, he took our death so that we might be treated in the way that his life deserved. We might have perfect, loving relationship with a father in heaven day by day. And so verse 18, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of righteousness. Now that's freedom. But because that's the life we were created to enjoy. You see, when we, we live for ourselves, we're slaves to sin. We're, we're like a, a goldfish who assume that life outside the bowl is better. So we, we jump for freedom outside the bowl, land slap on the tabletop and are flapping around, wondering why we're completely exhausted and not getting anywhere and slowly dying. But that's life without Christ. 
But when God puts us back into relationship with him, when he puts us back into the environment we were designed to live in, secure in his love, we can swim freely. And let, me, let me show you how that works practically again. So back to our exhausting lives. Yesterday, I was responsible for a conference of other church leaders. And basically, I've ruined the last month of my life worrying about it. Not enough people were coming. Now, the source of, of the worries is not actually that they weren't coming. It's that my belief that my life is best when I think people think that I'm great. When, when they think I'm someone. When they think I'm a success. So I'm Daff, who ran a big conference. The problem was it wasn't going to be a big conference. So I sat, even, do you know this experience? Sitting at your computer receiving emails was exhausting. Because they might be emails of people not coming to the conference. Or checking my phone. I began to checking my phone like this, you know. And it's going to be another text message from someone not coming to the conference. That's slavery. And it knackers you. But verse 17, I've been handed over by God to the gospel of grace. That should control our thinking. So so when I'm afraid that I will look a failure, I know that I'm loved by the God who looked a total failure when he was beaten and spat upon and crucified for me. And when I think I'm ugly, I know I've been made a beautiful child of God by the one who the Bible says was so disfigured beyond that of any human likeness as he suffered for me. And when I think no one values me, I know that the God I've rejected so loved me that he gave his only son. Or when I think that my job is a pointless drudge, I know that my God delights in all my mixed up, pathetic ways that I try and serve him day by day. Or when I don't think I've got any real friends, which is actually, I think, more an issue for middle-aged men than teenage girls. When I don't think I've got any real friends, I know that Jesus calls me his friend. And he welcomes me into a family of countless worshippers. Or when I think that my my daily life of pain is just not going anywhere. I know that God has made me a citizen of heaven. And that is my home forever. Did you see how this pattern of teaching we call the gospel of grace is freedom? One writer has said that we, we need to have daily Christian CBT. Cognitive behavioral therapy. You know how CBT works? The aim is you... You alter your behavior by getting you to think properly about yourself and your circumstances. And that's what Paul is saying the Christian needs to do. We've been handed over to a totally different way of thinking about ourselves. Because God's done this radical work of grace in our lives. So that's where we find our value, our status, our love, our purpose. Not in who we are or our performance but in Christ's. Not in what we do, but in what Jesus has done. Not in what we think about ourselves, but what God thinks of us in Christ. You see, that's why if you were a father here this morning, 
There is nothing more important for you to do every single day than to gather your family around the Bible and in your own muddled, slightly dysfunctional way, seek to explain to your wife and children who they are in the Lord Jesus Christ every single day. So their minds are fixed on him. Because that'll be freedom for them. And if you're a parent, actually, there's nothing more important for your children, because children, they don't listen to what we say, they listen to what we do. To see that every single decision you make in life is framed in the fact that you are a child of God, and He is your master. And there's nothing better than living for Him. And in your workplace, if you want people to ask you about the hope that you have, there is nothing better than for them to see that you aren't worried about what they think of you or whether you get that promotion or how much your pay packet is going to be because you have a Father in heaven who's given you all his riches in his Son. And those things, they just don't matter so much anymore to you. Because... There are two lives, you see, offered by these two masters. That's the third thing. Look at, look at verse 19. Two lives. Uh, Paul says, I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, here's the only command in this passage, only command, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. Paul says, look, any, any analogy's got its faults. And it seems the Roman Christians were just like us. They seem addicted to sort of offering themselves to their old master, offering themselves back to sin. So Paul says, it's a warm sort of command. It's, a, it's, a, it's an urge from a caring pastor. Look, you used to offer yourself to those ideas and those actions that can never give you what God can. And the result was you were slaves to impurity and literally from into wickedness into wickedness. Your life just goes from bad to worse if you do that. Now, that's the addictive nature of sin. It's, it's a downward slope. You know, very few people plan to steal from their firm or, or to sit out to diddle the tax man as a career decision, but one thing leads to another. They borrow, they spend money on things that will make them happy, so they think they can't pay off the debt. So they just are less honest around the fringes. They just are a little quicker to pinch things here and there. And as soon as they get the money, they spend them on things that will just, they think, kill the drudgery and fear of their daily lives. Or you tell a lie to try and escape that situation and slowly the lie grows and grows and you really find you're living a life of deceit. Or, or you draw alongside someone at work to comfort them, but then they are offering you emotional support in the way that your wife or husband isn't and things lead one to another you offer your life from wickedness into wickedness that's the path of sin says Paul but but now offer every part of your life your thinking your feeling your doing your loving your planning to be like Jesus that's what we were singing I want to be like Jesus to be righteous because that's a life where you become more and more holy more and more like God in your attitudes and actions. Slavery was abolished in America at the end of the American Civil War, 1865. 
and thousands of slaves were freed. They could walk out of plantations and farms and big houses. They were no longer the property of their masters. But that didn't necessarily change their thinking or their feeling. So often when they saw an old master walking down the street towards them, they'd bow their heads. They'd get out of the way. They'd show physically that psychologically they hadn't fully grasped their new freedom. And that's why we need daily Christian CBT, to get our psyche straight. Did you know what the Greek word psyche is, translated in our Bibles? Soul. To get our souls straight. So the very heart of our being, we know who we are. And then to live that out. Because look at, look at the way the two different lives open to all humanity pan out. Verse 20. You see, you were free when you were a slave to sin. What were you free from? When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. You are free from being in a right relationship with God. But verse 21, what benefit did you reap at that time for the things you're now ashamed of? Those things result in death. Or literally, what fruit did that life bring you? It was a catalogue of things that, that bring shame. Now, if you don't think that your previous life of sin, or even your life of sin, brings you shame, just let me suggest that we play out your life in front of everyone else this morning. You know, all the secrets you have from the whole of your... We'll play them out. And if you're feeling a little awkward, the Bible calls that feeling shame. We don't want people to know. And what's the goal of that life? Death. That's what the devil wants for you, death. To live a life that's dead to God's love now, and to kill ourselves trying to earn what we desperately long for, but God freely offers us in his son, the Lord Jesus. And finally, to experience eternal death, suffering God's righteous anger as a result. It's death. Why do you think when the devil tempted the first human beings into sin, he said, surely you won't die? No, really. Just live fire for yourself. You won't die. It won't be daily death and eternal death. Believe me. Never trust a talking snake. But but do you see the life God's given us? Verse 22. Look at this life in verse 22. But now you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. And where does this life lead? The benefit, the fruit you reap leads to holiness. And the result is eternal life. What's the fruit of being a slave to God? It's a character like Christ's. A character of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Isn't, isn't, that, isn't that how you'd like to be? I can tell you now, that's the way my wife and children would like me to be. And look at the goal of our master God. Gareth pointed it out. Where's this life heading? Eternal life. Not not just life forever, but life forever in a relationship with a loving heavenly father. So says Paul, offer your desires as slaves to righteousness. Offer your diary as slaves to righteousness. Offer your dreams as slaves to righteousness. Offer every single thing about you as a slave to righteousness. Because there are two lives, but only one is grace. Look at verse 23, probably the most famous verse in the chapter. For the wages of sin is death, 
But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That life of sin we make for ourselves, that life where we enslave ourselves, well, that earns death. We work hard all our lives trying to get what God freely offers us in Christ, and in the end, the only thing we achieve is death. When God freely offers us that eternal life, that beautiful life, it's a gift. Literally, it's a grace gift. It's a gift given in His undeserved love. It's a gift given at the expense of His Son, Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus. So offer every part of your life to your loving God. Because that is freedom. That is freedom. Only two masters. Only one offers you freedom. Only two lives. Only the one is the gift of God's grace to you. Where are you going to offer your life today? Let's pray together. We're going to have a moment's quiet. Maybe you want to think about the things that you just feel are enslaving you. Ways that you're not living according to your nature as a child of God in Christ Jesus, not living out who you am, who you are, but but offering yourself to things that enslave you, to sin. Maybe you're here and you're, you're not yet a Christian. And for the first time you thought, I want this freedom in Christ. Maybe you need to ask God to make that clear to you, how you can come to him, to turn from sin, and to offer yourself as a servant of Jesus. We're going to pray a prayer of confession together. You'll find it on the screen behind me. And this uh, prayer uh, reflects the words of Romans 6. So if you're someone who wants to rejoice in your rescue in the Lord Jesus Christ from sin and offer yourself in slavery to God, then uh, join with me in this prayer. Almighty God, Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have rescued us from slavery to sin and brought us into the freedom of slavery to righteousness through the death and resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ. Forgive us that we continue to offer ourselves to sin, that we give our hearts to lies, that cannot bring the life and love that only you give. By the power of your Spirit, open our eyes to all the blessings we have in Christ and strengthen us to offer our lives as slaves to you. May we long for the righteousness that leads to holiness so that we are more like our precious Savior Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen.